Right, I've gone straight into it. We are now recording the another podcast episode, but it's kind of like a collaboration this time. So this time uh, I'm linking up with Frankie Fan, who's uh, a long-term colleague and friend in the world of music, and he also runs a podcast. Um, so he's putting it up on his end. I've decided to do a visual element this time and put it on out and on all the relevant normal socials anyway um so let's just introduce each other and then we go into the theme of the podcast so i guess is the the floor is yours frankie tell them yeah (laughs) so um i guess we've known each other now probably what uh about four four or five years um i started going yeah yeah around that time i think so maybe yeah yeah, so I probably well, I probably known you for longer than you know me because I knew you because you 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 obviously run the events that I was yeah. sort of going to as a punter. Yeah. And then yeah. eventually we started working with each other. Um, I became resident DJ probably about three years ago. Spent about two years with you and the gang, you Yumna Black, uh, Meldo, and the others. That was a good few years. Um, and then um, from my sort of background, um, I have a uh, degree from Bristol in uh, neuroscience. I'm a final year medical student. And then as Nico sort of mentioned, uh, I run my own um, podcast, which is called Repeat Prescription Radio. It allows me to sort of um, express myself musically, like continue the sort of DJing, but in my own sort of time, I don't really, I honestly don't really think I have that much time to sort of play events these days, not that they're on. Um, but then moving on from that, I sort of always have a sort of overarching theme to do with wellness sort of lifestyle and those sorts of things. And just, um, I was, I, I remember listening to Nico's podcast probably about six weeks ago, whenever it came out, um, I was very inspirational and, uh, I, I reached out to him, dropped him a message and, uh, yeah, here we are. Here we are indeed. That's <laughs> So yeah, just for, so for my sort of listeners, um, can you like give a bit of a background on what you, what your sort of background is, what, um, what the sort of like underlying themes of the last sort of episode were yeah definitely so uh, well that, there's actually another couple of episodes in between this so it's not exactly the last episode <laughs> they're just not out yet um but yeah so that first episode it was what i wanted to do was there's been a lot of i've had a lot of life experiences and b- before i will get, go into the episode and i start um introducing different people and the whole podcast was about uh interesting conversations that i have with different people and i feel like i meet a lot of uh interesting people um just day to day and throughout life and all the rest of it and i thought before i kind of go into it i kind of felt that i I was obliged to maybe give an introduction to myself and uh give a bit of introduction to how i've got to where i am why i am the way i am um sometimes i always kind of feel like i have a need to explain that even though it maybe shouldn't be the case um there's probably more psychology psychology reasons behind that um but yeah so the first episode is a introduction to me so talking about um, a whole load of themes from homelessness and uh, mental health and how a lot of uh, points in my life have led me to be successful uh, what I'd like to think I'm successful in the world <laughs> of uh, business and music and all, all the rest of it uh, so if what I do is primarily I put on club nights obviously not now at the moment but I've been running a brand called B-Swang for the past eight years um, we have also just launched a record label uh, about a year and a half ago nearly coming up to two years uh, i've just opened a cocktail bar and private venue space 
and I'm looking to venture venture into other areas of business as well. I've just started artist managing. So yeah, like I think it's really like just um, going kind of knee deep in, or in all the things that kind of complement each other and really making the most of um, just doing what I love really. And just, yeah, just keep, keep keeping it moving really as such. Yeah. So no, like I think that's a really good like sort of introduction to what you, you sort of do. I mean, from the sort of previous sort of episodes I've recorded in the, in the past, we've kind of, when I've been speaking to some of my friends, I spoke to one of my friends about the loss of his father. Um, his, his dad died very suddenly of an aneurysm. I'm really, um, I, I really want to listen to that podcast. I remember seeing it. Like I need to take the time yeah. to write that down actually. What podcast number was it? Or what was the name of it? Uh, I think it's seven. It's with um, Dave's Prism. It's called, uh, it's yes. something uh, to do with overcoming grief. I think is what I actually called the episode. Yeah. But I, I think, uh, like, from my, like, I love, like, researching things. It's obviously, I'm, I mean, it's nothing to write home about, but, like, I'm, I'm interested in research. I'm interested in how you can sort of look after your, look, look after your own health. Um, but then I think there's also a lot of power in sort of storytelling and getting people to engage with their health. It, it's not just about me telling you, okay, it's, it's good to do exercise because it'll make you live longer, like, point blank. Did you explain it, what you do, by the way? I don't Huh? Did you explain what you do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I said, yeah, so I said I'm a medical, like, I'm a final year medical student. I'm in the process now, actually. Of, um, big brain student. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Big brain I've student. Been, I've been a, a student for a very long time. It's going to be weird next year when I'm working as a doctor. Yeah. Very weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> big, accomplish, yeah, I'd, big accomplishment. Yeah, yeah, it will. Um, <laughs> but I, I think the power of like a story is probably underestimated from a from a healthcare perspective. I don't think... I think sometimes for doctors it's just all about the research but sometimes it can be quite inspirational I think people can actually make real changes to their life by looking at someone else's story and taking inspiration and I think that's what I was sort of uh I was inspired by your story in that first episode and I think that's sort of culminated in this um and I guess also I probably should say I I don't think I ever told you but I sort of set up the podcast originally I kind of we used to do a lot of radio together back yeah back and down on dmu and yeah. i really enjoyed that and i remember you and sam you'd always do a section it was like grown man stuff or something like that yeah gms yeah. Yeah, yeah grown man stuff and so i remember like let me just that, explain what gms just... is so gms was put together um to help students become a grown man so and every <laughs> single week on radio we'd come with uh, a new bit of advice that is in the world of gms um and it could be something something simple like dental hygiene and then we'll go into that why it's important and it could be the case of being a great listener like listening is a great skill and um your partner will appreciate that or anyone friends or whatnot whoever and yeah every week would just come with different something different but sometimes it would be like completely wild like oh you can't have a velcro wallet no velcro wallets (laughs) you can't be at a bar and pull out a velcro wallet but yeah it was just it was yeah that that was gms no, but I, I, I like obviously the Velcro wallet's less applicable to sort of my side of like healthcare <laughs> things. But like you talked about some stuff, which I think I think a lot of young people struggle with their mental health. A lot of it, everyone struggles with their mental health. And I think your ability to look after yourself and take onus for your own sort of decisions, like you would talk about cooking well, you talk about keeping yourself clean, or like keeping yeah. yourself well groomed, and those sorts of things are actually have such a 
positive benefit on your life. And sure. I, I remember just thinking like, this is like, this is actually really important stuff to be talking about. Yeah, like I ne- we never really thought about that, it that way. But yeah, yeah, yeah. like I, ca- I can understand the import- importance of it, especially when as a student, like you're kind of setting yourself up to becoming who who you're going to be and um yeah i think it's really important that i guess i kind of seen it when i was going to these house parties like hearing student conversations and asking questions like you live like this like no you need to be doing it this way <laughs> yeah no man it is it is so true i think it's just early early sort of 20s and uh leaving home having that sort of independence it's yeah. a bit of a you're thrown in the sort of deep end in a lot of ways and it's kind of a bit of sink or swim sort of situation so yeah yeah i I really enjoyed that that sort of aspect of uh the radio and i guess that sort of led me to sort of doing my own sort of stuff in the future no that's good i'm glad it kind of inspired (laughs) you in some kind of way (laughs) i guess you probably weren't thinking that at the time you and sam were just having a laugh (laughs) yeah we just we just having a laugh and just sharing what we know and and that's it just yeah just having a laugh really yeah yeah so just I, what I you just said, actually, just before you carry on, um, yeah. just what you were saying about um, how the podcast about storytelling. So mm-hmm. what I didn't realize is when I did the podcast, I didn't realize like how beneficial it like telling my story could be to someone else. Like from what you just said, because the messages that I had afterwards, like amazing, like it made it so worthwhile. And I was so nervous to put out that story because it's so personal to me. There's going to be so, there's probably one other person knew about um, a sort of suicide attempt. You know what I mean? And it's, I I feel so openly that I can speak about it now because I'm so far away from that, the moments in my life. Do you know what I mean? Um, But what I, what after, after, yeah, afterwards, like the messages that I was getting in um, just about like how much it's, it's, how much it helped them, how much it's it's going to motivate them. Um, it just made it all worthwhile and any kind of anxieties or worries that I had, they all kind of just went away. Mm, no, yeah, like like I said, yeah, it was the exact same for me. I thought it was really inspirational. And uh, yeah, I, re- I really enjoyed that episode as well. Oh, wicked. Yeah. I'm glad. Really, really glad. But yeah, let's get into this podcast. So yeah, yeah. Um, it, you've kind of, you've approached me about this podcast, even though I'm putting it up on my own channels as well. Um, you kind of tell them where you want this podca- podcast to go. Yeah, so I guess like we, like like you sort of alluded to, you've sort of had your sort of mental health struggles early in mm. your sort of in your in your earlier years. And we, when you were sort of speaking about your, your that first episode, the story kind of, ended where when you had set up B-Swang basically um, and I kind of wanted to explore how being an entrepreneur and sort of building a brand has affected your mental health and sort of basically pick up where you left off in that last sort of episode uh, and explore it from maybe a mental health perspective you mentioned you'd had a therapist um, and then you also mentioned the sort of uh, how you thought events were so important for you because of the sort of escapism and how you enjoy being around like-minded individuals and I think that's all sort of really linked to mental health and having mm. like good mental sort of health outcomes um, and yeah I just kind of wanted to maybe build on that and yeah sit, like look at how your attitude towards your mental health has changed since you were maybe earlier in your 20s to now basically yeah you know what it was like when you go through something when uh the last time i was homeless and i felt very alone uh, kind of one point that i made in um, that first episode was 
uh, is the tattoo that I've got on my arms is you either get busy living or you get busy dying. And I think it's that kind of attitude in life where I have, there's no kind of middle ground or there's no like getting down, down in the dumps where you can either get down in the dumps or you actually do something about it. And yeah. it was like that kind of attitude where I was like, I ain't cool. Like you might be in a shit place right now. You might not have no money. You might not have a secure roof over your head. And there's, there's not a lot of secure things around you. And I think for anyone in that kind of situation, it is real difficult to get yourself or to think that you could be in a better place because it's the, that first part is such a, like the way I see it is just kind of being a little bit secure and knowing it's, it's difficult. Even that can seem like such a far, um, a far place to kind of get to, especially when you might not have access to a lot of friends or you might not be seeing a lot of family. You might not have that kind of support network around you. Um, so I think me finding dance music, one, it was a, just in a form, form of escapism because I probably still wasn't having the greatest time. Um, and that was me exerting any kind of negative energy in a happy place, which was going to raves. It, that was like, that was where I felt happiest. And I was going to raves like at least two a week sometimes. Like, it, 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 you know what I mean? Like when I was like 21, 22, 23, like you, like I am a totally different person to what I was. Like there was a stage where I was homeless. And then straight after that was just like the best time in my life. I, like, I was doing, I was doing some, some real good shit. Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, I might have to bleep that out. Um, but yeah, like I, I went Uganda, went Ibiza, like um, I did, I did loads of cool things, man. And I think all those different things have kind of led me to be like, I think I always knew that I wanted to do something big, but when um, I think there was just one time where I thought, you know what, like, I go to all these events across the country, Nottingham, Sheffield, and why is there nothing in Leicester? And that's kind of when I started something in Leicester. And then from then, I'd probably say it just kind of felt like a bit of fun. Um, so mm. you just like go going with the flow and you're just enjoying the whole process. And I think you start to think, I ain't cool, is this is my is this my calling? Um and I'd probably say that the most notable thing from being a promoter is resilience. Um, like there's, there's so many setbacks in business. Um, it's, I, 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 it's difficult to kind of say like how it might affect, how, how it might affect you. I think you just have to be real, real strong and keep on going. And I kind of see it when other promoters try to get into the world of events. Um, let's say, for example, if they've just started out or when I've worked at venues before and um, it's kind of been my job to bring promoters in and some promoters might be just starting out and they might have spent um, loads of money on an, on an event and it might not have gone how they want it to go and then they just quit. And don't get me wrong, that they might lose a few thousand pounds and but they're like, oh, no, I'm done. I'm This this is me. Like I'm This is not for me. And... The, my way of thinking is learn from that and just keep on moving forward. So there's been various, por there, there was actually one point where I could have easily done that. And I think that was probably be about, just after about a year that I started B-Song, it was about a year and a half. I was like, right, I'm going to go do the O2 in Leicester. I'm going to go get those big numbers. Uh, it was my first Outlook launch party and it went terribly wrong. Like I must have lost like three, four grand on that night. I was young. I borrowed the money to pay for the axe. 
Um, and I probably got like 400 people there. There's probably people listening right now that I probably went to that event and thought, yeah, I had the time <laughs> of my life. Um, but it, like that was, um, I remember the feeling on that night and I felt so sick. Um, I was like, right, like how, I'm in a shitload of debt now. And I was young, like early 20s as well. Like being in that, mm. that much debt, like it's not good. Um, and yeah, like I finally, I think at that moment in time, it's, I, you, I knew this was my calling and you just carry on and you just learn from your mistakes. I'd probably say that's a, that's another big lesson as well. Like learning from mistakes is probably my, um, biggest point I'd like to put across. And I think I've said yeah. that maybe I, I say it all the time as well. Like all my mm. failures have been my biggest learning points and I welcome them. 100% like if I make a mistake as long as I'm not making it the same mistake twice then I tend to question myself after that pretty much but I feel like I've not gone I've kind of just covered a bit overall I don't know whether you want we want to go through a bit more of a journey you tell me yeah I, th- I think so let's sort of start with you you, you sort of said you started B-Swang initially you sort of had that success mm. um, and then you maybe after a year and a half you said you wanted to sort of you wanted to sort of uh pack in the towel because you had a bad event yeah um how do you i guess building on from that and moving on with the story i guess being a promoter i guess the the, the thing is you're always planning the next thing yeah uh also it's always like a- all eyes are on you like your mm. success your success people can see that visually if you have a bad event they know you had a bad, bad event and then they know that you're not doing well <laughs> So like, yeah. yeah, people, but sometimes that's not always the case. Like obviously you can have, it might look like a great event and you might get all the numbers in, but financially the numbers m- might not stack up on the other side. And I think that's one thing that a lot of people assume sometimes, especially when I've done like uh, a few of my big warehouse events in recent years, I think, oh yeah, Nico is making loads of money. That the cost of putting these events on is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> like I literally sometimes like I shouldn't do it, and I'm I'm hoping not to do that again in the future. But I do it for the love. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like I I do it, I do it simply for the love. But yeah, going back to where I first started because I'm thinking about all the different things where <laughs> there's been mental challenges, and I'd like to cover them yeah, maybe yeah. maybe in a bit in order. Um, so when we first started Be Swang. It was all great. Everything's amazing. Um, and there was a point where um, I'd probably say like after about the first year, um, we was working with a club owner that was actually letting uh, underage, underage, underage people in. Um, and I approached him about it. And, and this was at the point where we was doing amazingly well. The venues were selling out every single time. I noticed it. I was like, mm, this crowd looking a bit too young for me. What's going on? So then I started standing on the door and I realised that the bouncers weren't IDing. And to the point where like people were telling me, saying, Nico, that person's underage. Like, I know that I know that person. They are underage. And when I approached the venue and I said, listen, um, why are you not IDing? Can you ID? Just kind of laughed in my face. Um and I made the decision to pull out straight away as I'm not having that. I can't have my brand known for being a place where you can get in and you're underage. Um, and I had to, I moved to a venue and B-Swang went downhill like because we stamped out or we didn't use as good event as good of venues. Um, the numbers dropped obviously because of all the under, underage people that couldn't get in anymore. Um, and 
going from something where the brand was deemed successful when there was a lot of hype around it, it just kind of like dips. Um, it was the first time booking headliners when we moved venue. So I kind of felt that I had to book headliners to get the numbers in. But what I was doing was I was booking headliners that, because Lester's not educated, I was booking headliners that people didn't know. Mm. But the huge headliners and some of the best producers out there, you're talking people like uh, Icicle, Suck Knight, uh, big nasty, but big nasty was like fairly busy. Khan, some of the some of those were good good nights, and there were people there, but not at the numbers that we previously had. And I started to started to get into debt a little bit from there, and that's when I had the outlook launch party as well. And I think that period was my first period in like I think it was like between the first and second year where I could have easily um, stopped putting on events. Like I think a lot of people would have given up at that point. Um. But the most, I, don't, I know at that time, like I, I think about how I felt and it's definitely, uh, I don't know why I do it, but I just keep on going. Like, you just got to keep on going. Like, <laughs> even I was like, yeah, I'm cool. Like, I'll, I'll learn from it and you just keep yeah. on going. Like, I'll, I'll, I think I got a job for a short amount, amount of time. I think I worked in a sofa shop. Um, yeah, I worked in a sofa shop, you know, sofa works or something. I was just like, as a secretary or something like that. Uh, I worked there for like four months, paid off my debts <laughs> to whoever I'd owed money to, and I started again. And I kind of built it up slowly again from then. Didn't book any headliners, just went back to normal yeah. resident nights and kind of just built, built, and built as such. And I guess that's probably up until the point that I kind of met you, I think. Yeah, because, yeah, when I was going there, I remember it was. It was mainly sort of resident nights. Was street headliner. And I, it was in that phase where we were always down at Softbeck. Okay. Like we were always in the ba- basement. Okay. Was so was that your first about. first year, Softbeck? Uh, I remember going to you in Street Life as well. Okay. I went, I went to you guys at Street Life at some point in my first year, and then yeah. I actually started going a bit more in my second year. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I. I think at that point you guys were mainly mainly down in the basement in Softbeck, which was a good time. That was a good time. I have a lot of fun memories. Yeah, so I guess that that was about three, four years, three, four years into it. Yeah. And up until three, four years, like bearing this like I still wasn't really getting a full time wage from B Swing. Like it was just a bit of money coming in, but I'm kind of reinvesting it back into the brand. So um yeah, like it's it was it wasn't to the point of maybe about twenty five where I started to look at my finances a little bit more. And when we went to um, a club called Softback, which obviously you know and maybe a lot of listeners know, it's a real small club and it was uh, the smallest club that we've ever worked in. So I was kind of like, are we going to make any money here? Like, why are we doing it? Like, but we thought we'd give it one go, just like as a little treat because it's probably the only place in Leicester where dance music probably played all the time. So um, we gave it a go and it went amazingly well. And then we got offered to do it every week. Um, because we did every week, it meant the money was consistent and it meant I was able to live um, a better life and actually make a wage from it. So that was probably the first time where I'd probably say like out of all the years of doing Beast One, that year at Softback was um, either the happiest or the worst and I'll tell you why. So I've, what I just said, having consistent money coming in was great. Like, and 
any if any promoters are listening right now or any or anyone that's tried events you know how difficult it is to make money from events um but having no head we pretty much had no headliners 95 percent of the time we had a few headliners here and there but even then we were still able to make money from those nights but having something consistent consistent and there wasn't a lot of risk factor in it meant i was being able to do like loads of cool cool stuff like i was able to actually enjoy myself i was i think i went on holiday um for like i think it was like the first proper holiday like i've had that was like on a beach and i was just like yeah like this is sick um i was it was yeah it was just a great time i was going to london all the time i was going to theater i was seeing like classical music shows that that all all these experiences yeah i remember you seeing i now yeah all these experiences i was able to have and it was the first time having that so like i just rinsed all my money all the the time just i love it i love experiences and if anyone that knows me then they'd probably describe me as extra so like i want to have the best wine or the best cocktails or let's go for the best food. Um, I don't hold back in, uh, yeah, in not having the best things in life. I feel like experiences are very important. But the reason why it was the worst was because it was the first time, um, it was when I found out that my mum was really ill. So she then told us that she had chronic kidney, chronic kidney disease. Um, and that was like a big, um, I think I was just like confused, a bit stumped. Um, it was just like, I don't, it was just like hitting a brick wall. Like, um, you don't really know how to take it. Life is going amazingly well when you get news like that. And, um, yeah, like I think at that time it was, I just remember being in the gym all day, every day. And I was like, I want to put myself in the best because um, I probably wouldn't say I'm the healthiest person in the world, like um, a bit of a big guy. So I needed to make sure that I think in my mindset, I was like, right, I'm going to get healthy. And I'm in the gym every single day, twice a day, even I did that for like six months, lost like 15 kilo. um, And yeah, like it was a strange time because as we was coming up towards the end of uh, that kind of academic year, we started to put on, um, I think it might have been leading up to our first warehouse event. Around that time, we had General Levy and he didn't show up. It was around that time. I remember, yeah. Um, and the events were getting bigger and the brand was getting bigger. And I think dealing with that at the same time, and imagine my mood from training as well, like because I was training so much, probably a bit unhealthily, um, my my ex-girlfriend would probably agree as well. Like I was just quite mardy all the time. Um, and I was always split between um, jobs that I had to do for my mum because she was in hospital a lot of the time and work because I manage, I'm, I managed a team of people, probably like four people. Um, and I just remember feeling torn um, between my mum's asking me to do something because so I'm from uh, Braunston. Um, she was at the general hospital. Now the time between uh, general hospital and Braunston, you're talking a 20 minute drive, um, doing that multiple times throughout a day. It's not ideal, especially when you're busy with work and let's say for example, during freshers and all the rest of it um, and you're planning and God knows what I'm doing that in traffic like really really frustrating now i could be somewhere in a meeting and i've got a a look at my phone and my mom saying i need this and it could be something so small but in my head like 
it kind of ripped me to pieces. Like I felt like it was just not a good feeling. I think that's when I started to get really anxious. Um, I started to get really stressed out, not really knowing what to do or how to approach things, how to tackle my jobs. Um, and it really, really did throw me off course um, to the point where the next academic year, when we did the uh, the Manu Leng night, mm. I don't know if you remember that. I don't yeah, think you yeah, might have left a... by then. I'm not too sure. No, uh, no, I DJ did that one. I think yeah. that was my last year. That was my last year. Okay, yeah. I was so starting to tone it down. Yeah, so that, that night, um, it was the second warehouse event. It was the the biggest, is the most money I've ever spent on an event, and a lot was riding on it. Um, a lot, a lot of money was riding on it, and spending that much money on an event, and it was the first time doing that, getting a huge amount of numbers that we never had before, and it it was looking like it was about to sell out. Um, the health and safety factor of putting an event on that size, which I've never done before. And um, my, I can remember, yeah, my mum just being really ill at that time as well. Um, I remember in the summer, it was something so small, but I think I was just, I remember being so, I was in my car and um, it was around, I was around a general hospital and I had to go do something that was really important with my event. I think it was a meeting or something like that. And I had to go do something that was really important for my mum. And uh, it was probably, I think it's the second time I've ever had a panic attack. And that was um, an experience for, to say the least. Like, I've always, like when people talk about panic attacks and anxiety, I'm like, uh, yeah, you get you get a bit nervous when you go out before a night out, and that's probably the thing I most associate it to. But yeah, this was like real, real, real bad. Like, and and you can't control it. And I like to be in control, and to have to go something through like that where I'm, I feel like I'm I've been mentally strong for a lot of for a lot of reasons in my life. Um, going through that at that time, it was. Yeah, like I, me- I remember. So do you know the uh, Tesco on the corner opposite Crown Hills uh, near General Hospital. There's like a bakery there or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I know. What you mean. Yeah, so I've pulled up into there and I was like, right, I need to take a break. Um, I've gone into the shop. I've grabbed like some Lucas Aid or something, um, and I actually I sat down with uh, there was there's a homeless guy always sitting there, and I was like, oh, do you mind if I come sit and chill with you for a bit? And he was like, yeah, sure. Just sat and chilled with him for a bit like and we just had this like massive long conversation I must have sat down with him for about an hour um just getting to know him started to talk, talk to each other and that pulled me out of it um and I felt like at that moment in time like that was meant to happen um it kind of brought me down to earth and he kind of spoke to me about my mom and everything else and he was sharing his experiences with his family and um yeah, we kind of connected from after that. And uh, after that, so I ended up having to, I was like, all right, cool. Like, let me, I was like, stay here, let me sort you out. No, I think he actually, I was like, oh, let me, let me, let me like, because you've helped me. I was like, let, let me give you something. Like, I'll give him some money. But I was like, oh, like, do you need any clothes? Do you need anything? It was like, oh, yeah, I could do with this, this and this. And I was like, all right, cool. I was like, stay here and I'll be back in 20, like half an hour. So I went home, just grabbed loads of clothes that I didn't wear, loads of B-Swang merch, came back and met him, gave him all the stuff. And um, yeah, that was that. And I think um, after that, 
I think around that time I was still getting like kind of stressed out about everything and it was the first time where I felt I remember coming out I think I was going to hospital like every day at that point and I think I came out in the mm-hmm. hospital at one point and I just felt I need to speak to someone because I can't um it's affected my relationship with my ex-girlfriend um and I don't really know what to do like I felt a bit stuck um because there's again like just going back to like there's people that rely on me within my team at work and when you're kind of leading the way and we know that this is a really important year we're putting on this huge event we're going to smash freshers we're going to do this that and the other um it was kind of yeah I was like right I need to speak to someone outside like I know people have suggested the therapist this that and the other but I ain't calling I'm going to really go for it this time so I just looked up online straight away. You know what, as well, like I have actually tried to go through my GP and my GP's fobbed me off every single time, um, which has been really, really, really annoying. Um, so mm. I have tried through uh, the normal channels through senior GP, but I didn't get anywhere. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's, it's a, a failure of the system because it is exceptionally hard to get therapy through the NHS. Uh, you'll be away even if you do uh sort of make the criteria you'll be waiting at least 18 months yeah and sometimes uh i i think antidepressants have a role for treatment in depression they're really really important Mm. but a lot of people don't want to be on drugs and a lot of people speaking to someone is uh probably more useful to them than giving them giving them drugs for anxiety giving them drugs for depression or whatever um and it's a complete failure of the system that you you have to wait 18 months when some of these people really really need that's it. that's crazy um, 18 months that's a yeah. madness and I, I and i can understand why the the short time is to take drugs and i know loads of people that do and mm. they seem to be better off for it and it and it does help them for me i'm the complete opposite i refuse to take any antidepressant drugs whatsoever like um i, I don't like putting drugs in my body I've, i don't even take paracetamols anymore if, if i try not to um but yeah so i went to um i googled just jeep um, a therapist and i went private and i started going to therapy alongside um, everything else that I was doing. And that was really hard at the start going to therapy. Like I remember the first session, I hated it. I was like, what the hell is this? I can't, I can't, this is how I, how I was so pissed off after this session, just because I, she made me not even made me like, I'm quite an open person. I will speak about stuff, whatever. If you ask me anything about my, my, my upbringing or anything i'll speak about it if it comes up in conversation but generally it doesn't anyway but because obviously we're 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 there for that and she kind of spurred on questions it got me talking about things that i didn't realize and how certain things have affected my life for the reason why i I might i might be now and them kind of realizations got me really upset and after that first um session with her and then I carried on, I stuck at it and it's probably one of been the best things in my life to be even more mentally strong than hopefully than what, what I was. And I think it came at a really important time when the events are getting a lot bigger, there's the brands a lot bigger, there's a lot more eyes on you. So not in terms, terms of Leicester now, even like across the country, people know about Beastwang. So we had like loads, loads of hiccups along the way with... Um, loads of yeah, there was loads of different factors of um things that were um going against Beeswang at that time uh, with along with the fact that with my mum being ill so mm. um yeah like therapy helped me a lot and I probably went consistently every week for about 
a year and a bit to kind of yeah I'd probably say like a year year and a half maybe before I even started to bring the um yeah I started to bring the sessions down I think I started to go like monthly into the point now where um we still speak every now and again probably like if I'm ever super stressed out then I might like hey like I need a session right now I need mm. to talk about something and it's great because the reason why I recommend therapy, people think it's because it maybe it maybe shows a sign of weakness, or you only go there if you're uh, or you if you're seriously mentally ill and you got something wrong with you or you're tapped in the head. Um, yeah, but it's helped me through loads of different factors in my life to be able to understand things. So that could be from um, my normal day-to-day routine and my relationship with my dog, uh, the relationship that I have with my mum, my relationship with work, and the relationship that you might have with partners as well. And I think what I've been able to learn over the past, well, how however long I've been going therapy, is how to um, tackle situations that have been put before you that do seem difficult. And I think mm. over the course of however long, she's given me the tools to be able to approach situations and be like, I ain't cool, I know how to deal with this. So um I hundred percent recommend it to everyone. Like it doesn't matter. I think so many people have um stresses in life, like and maybe are not afraid or afraid to speak about it or not or afraid of opening up. And I think I 100% recommend it to feel liberated for sure. Um, From all walks of life, I think everyone could do with speaking to a therapist in some kind of way. But again, sometimes it's just friends. Like Friends can be therapists. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like just talking to people in general and having a great support network around you helps a lot. But sometimes it's nice to have someone outside of that circle as well. I can't remember speaking to this the other day about someone. Um of how important it is and not to offload it on maybe your partner. I'd probably, I'd probably say like that's a big one. Um, like you can be super stressed out and it's your partner, it's your partner that you speak to every day, whether you live with them or don't live with them, um, that can have a, a an effect on the relationship and a negative one. So having someone outside of that circle to kind of offload your stresses on and trying to figure out how, how to nav- navigate through, through your life and all the challenges it has. I think that's, yeah, been very important and I hundred percent recommend it. I feel like I've spoken too much there. No, 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 you said, you said so much, man. There's so much I want to talk about (laughs) from that. I mean, yeah, (laughs) I kind of just let you talk and it was like, oh, we're going for it. We're going for it. Um, So so I think I'll probably like work my way backwards, actually. So you, you said, obviously you you developed all these tools from going to your therapist to like, I guess these sort of tools, is it in the sense that you now feel that if a situation becomes really, really stressful, you now feel we're able to cope with it like what sort of tools are we talking about pretty much i think it might differ to different person to person but Mm. my my own challenges that i have in life is um when i don't know how something's gonna go and i get really anxious about it because i might be out of control or um i just don't really know what's going on with the situation and more time it's just me taking the steps to being able to find out that's about the situation and i can't i'm trying, trying to think of examples um, I can't really think of any examples, but I'd probably say like it's not leaving things to fester in your head and think about different scenarios that haven't happened. And that might resonate with a few different people, but that was yeah. the case for me um, from normal day-to-day stresses. And I think the thing that I've learned 
is, all right, cool. If I go to my therapist, what will my therapist say? And then, all right, cool. Like, I know what she would say <laughs> because I've had, we've, I've been going to so many sessions with her. So I know, I know what her response is going to be. So that, that was the kind of main tool for me to be able to adapt to a lot of things in my life to maybe, so I don't feel anxious anymore. Uh, so I feel mm. confident. Um, so any kind of big challenges that I face, I know how to deal with it. But that's not to say that I still don't speak to her. And I spoke to her recently about a certain situation where um, she's, I think because she's so experienced in, in dealing with so many different clients, um, she can speak about loads of different areas. So the most recent one was something about business. And um, because I, I assume that she speaks to so many business clients that are maybe even a lot bigger than me. So she can maybe give some advice in terms of that sense to um, help me as such, if that kind of, yeah, if that kind of made, made sense. So I'd still go to her for some things. Um yeah just to kind of talk, talk it through and get someone an outside an outsider because I think that's what it is as well like having someone outside a situation that isn't your family that isn't your friends that isn't whoever you've got the situation with or whatever scenario it is having someone outside that circle um that is fully there for your kind of well-being in your head um mm. and has your best interest in a different kind of way um, I think parents like ha- can always have like a one-sided view and maybe your friends do, but having, yeah, my therapist has definitely kind of helped with creating um, a different viewpoint of how to approach things for sure. I, I guess what, well, yeah, it's very true. I guess when you're coming from an outside perspective, it's always going to be a lot more objective. There's no sort of, none of that sort of close emotional ties, which can sometimes, although the intent, the, the, the advice has always got good intentions, it can get a bit confusing. I think, uh, I think, although you say you're quite open, yeah. I would say from knowing you for quite a few years and from speaking with Tom back in the day, back when we, we, back when we first started at, at B-Swang, I remember just thinking like me and Tom would always say, there's just a bit of like, a mystique about Nico like we just don't really know anything <laughs> about him he just does these events so like I I know none of these sort of problems you know what like, the most the most thing that what people say is when uh, obviously me and PJ work quite a lot together now it's like I don't like that Nico I don't know what it's about he, <laughs> yeah. he, he never he never smiles he's, he always looks smiley all yeah, the time yeah. he never smiles <laughs> you know what I think it's I, I'm a bit like you in the in that sort of sense I remember when we when uh me and Tom used to DJ people would always come up to Tom like people were like happy to talk to Tom because he's just he's like he's like little and he's yeah happy go lucky whereas, whereas me I just like stand there just like cold face sort of. <laughs> and like, I don't mean to be I'm actually yeah. quite shy like so yeah. I, I think um yeah I, th- I think what like relating back to the fact that I, d- I don't think you're actually as open like although you are open to talk to and like we're having an open conversation now I think you don't give a lot away um and I think probably that's why you you probably personally found it easier and I think I would probably if I was having the same sort of troubles would find it easier to go to someone who I didn't know because mm. I I it, although I'm open when I need to be I'm also quite private yeah if that makes sense yeah um I've been doing I it in think- the right time like I don't I don't I don't want to like maybe just be open about my story just on Facebook just casually mm. on Twitter or something like that like yeah. if I feel I feel like the way I did it in that podcast was just natural and it is what it is. And it wasn't for mm. anything more than just giving an introduction to me because it's the start yeah. of my podcast. Um, yeah. I know like a lot of, a lot of 
I get assumptions because maybe I'm Asian that I come from um, a rich family and that's the reason why I've been able to be successful because I've had a great start in life and that that, <laughs> that always kills me like you know when people say oh, oh I'm, I'm from a council estate and it's been really really hard for me it's like yeah I don't think you don't really know my my upbringing <laughs> or where I'm from either yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah that, always, that always kills me no I, yeah I, I mean I like I'm I'm very lucky. I've had like I've although I think I've got a bit of a a a sort of a similar mindset into you. Just I'm quite I'm quite driven, and I think that's been instilled in me by my parents. I've had quite a middle class upbringing, but their their parents were both very working class, and I think that's been ended up passed down to us because we're always just always pushing, pushing, pushing. And I, I think that kind of leads me on to what I wanted to talk about next. And I think you kind of spoke about it a bit there where you you said that you find the uncertainty is probably what gives you the most anxiety yeah and that is that the word uncertainty is what my therapist uses on me (laughs) yeah and and i think the the fact that you work in events is probably the worst like it's the worst pairing ever like the worst thing ever um and i would find it stressful like i i could like i ran one event um (laughs) right before i left to go to bristol to do it i think i remember that to do my degree um and that was so stressful like it, it is so stressful and like i think there, there's a lot of uncertainty and i think when you throw events you're putting you're obviously doing this for people but you're putting yourself into it you're putting a bit of your personality into it the branding is your personality the um the the, the sort of music that you that is getting played on the night is an extension of you as a person i yeah. think that's why it becomes hard when if things go wrong i think you tend to take it a lot more personally obviously there's a yeah. the money side of it yeah. but i think because you're putting so much of yourself and your personality into it mm. it becomes a bit of a bigger blow to to you as a person yeah for sure and i think like that let's say for example like where there has been negative um backlash is from when people don't like the way I do things or you could call them haters as such, you know, when people like write shit online on Facebook, the amount of people across the years, and I take it so personally as well. Um, I think more so I'm better with it now. I'm just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like, I think I've got past that point now, but there was a point in my life where like, if someone uh, came out and said something um, that was negative about my brand or that was something personal about me, like, and they don't even know me. Like yeah. some of them like have never even had a conversation with me. And that was like, that was real hard to take because the I always want everyone to be happy and I always want everyone to feel welcome and I don't want to do anyone wrong in any way. And I just try to focus on what I'm doing in the world of promotion. Like it's so cutthroat and people are always out to attack each other. One thing that I've always wanted to do with B-Swang from all the other promoters in Leicester was just keep my arms length away from everyone. It's like, I don't want a relationship with that person or that person, that person. They might be great, but I'm happy just doing my own thing and I'm focusing on what we're doing and anything else like we forget about. Um, But yeah, like in terms of putting yourself out there, um, yeah, maybe the wrong wrong thing to be into if I, with all the uncertainty for sure <laughs> but here we are here we are like whatever eight years later on with swang and i guess prior to lockdown like i in the space of like i i saw 
it go from the basement to the O2. And like, yeah. I, I just, re- I remember even when I started, we, we spoke like, we all spoke about me, you, Jack, whatever. We all sp- spoke about <laughs> yeah. the O2. Like, yeah. this is it. Like once, once that's done, that's it. Yeah. Um, that that, so that, far, that at the start of, at the start of B Swang, my goal was to fill out, fill out the O2 and Maybe by the time I finish, by the time I'm 40 or something like that, I want to do Victoria Park. That's the next goal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not joking. I'm not joking. Like, that's what I want to do. Yeah. Um. So we've got to the point of doing the O2 now. The feeling of when I did um, Chase and Status, the first, well, it's not my first event at the O2, but the first, obviously I had that one that flopped ages ago. But to have that event sell out, meant so much to me because I failed the first time. I felt like I'd reached a point where um, my knowledge of putting on events, um, no one is able to take that away from me. And if I wanted to put on a big event again, I know how to execute it. And that's kind of a bit of security for me. Obviously, it's really, really bad now. And I can speak about COVID a whole different time. But at that time... I felt amazing. I was like, right, like this is it. This is now where I might be able to afford a house now. I might be able to have the security of having a roof over my head for the first time. And those things in my head, like were amazing. Like I felt so good, so, so good. Um, I was able to, yeah, I think like, I think a lot of people, um, might have like parents help them and all the rest of it and i've always wanted that kind of security of having a roof over my head having my own dining room and it's so simple for a lot of other people but getting a house to me i still don't have a house right now move back into my mum's and all the rest of it but at that time it was at the point where right i've reached the o2 and we're gonna we've got the next 10 years i'm I'm 30 in a couple weeks the next 10 years is just purely about growth and setting myself up um to be secure as such mm. yeah and like when so when you reach the o2 was there a bit of a come down after because i find within my own life and i think i know <laughs> other people who are like this you set yourself this goal and you you put it on the pedal still you you achieve it and you're just left with although you've said yeah i'm going to come back and do victoria park or whatever yeah you, you, there will be stuff in the future but whenever you hit those goals there's the initial like oh my god i've done it and then there's a sort of like, oh, like, where, where am I now? And I, I think sometimes that I find that personally quite hard to like, be like, oh, well, mm, like, how, like, I've achieved what I wanted. Yeah. Am I, am I done? And I, I think when me and when me and Tom DJ, all we ever said was we want to support Mighty Lang. Like, we were never <laughs> taking it like that seriously. You know what I mean? I'm glad like, you got we, to do that. That's, would... I'm glad you got to do that. Yeah, no, you know what I mean, and like uh, we we that was all we ever wanted because we when we started listening to underground music, we just bashed my new language. We thought they were the, the coolest guys ever, um, and <laughs> they are cool. They make great music and they have great sets. They do, they do. Um, and then when it happened, I think at least for Tom at that point, he was like, "Well, like, we're, like we're going into career." You know what I mean? We were, we were both going to be doctors. We yeah, were both yeah. in medicine, and yeah. I think for Tom at that point, he was kind of done. Yeah. And I think I definitely felt a bit of like, oh, like have I have I had enough now? Yeah, and then I had yeah. a few like good gigs after that. And yeah. like I remember playing um Forbidden Forest with Jack yeah. and I was just like, This is incredible, like, <laughs> this is what it's all about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um but it's hard sometimes, man, yeah. to come back from from that goal and be like, 
all right, let's what's next and sort of strategizing and sort of just being able to actually savor that moment because you haven't put too much you haven't you haven't set it on this really really high pedestal if that makes sense yeah i think when we reach the o2 or with any event if anyone asked me i'm just like yeah that's cool i was like yeah but this but this was wrong this was wrong this was wrong we can do this better we can do this better we can do this better and that's always my attitude on majority of the nights like i'm like yeah we can do better though and I think <laughs> no. I, I think I always have like that level of um uh, that kind of level of perfection. I'm, I'm I think I'm a perfectionist when it comes to my events, and I want every single thing to go right. Nothing can go wrong, and if it goes wrong, that's an issue. Like I'm writing that down. I'm writing that in my notes on my phone on the night, saying right, uh, the lighting should have been better. Uh, why wasn't it better? Why did we, was it in the planning? Did Was there not enough time to program the lights? What was going wrong with the queuing system? Why were people waiting too long to get in? Do we need more queues? Do we need more bounces? Um, so all there's so many different things to do with running a night. I'm noting down all these things on the night, what goes wrong. Um, so let's say, for example, the chasing status night, there was loads of things that, that went wrong. And I think it was more so the case of, it was the first time putting on an event there they didn't know how we work. We didn't know how they work. So there was just a bit of a clash in terms of the running of the night. While it was an amazing night, the photos were amazing, the videos were amazing. I think everyone had a great night. Um, for me, like I felt like I ain't called, like it wasn't, even though like it was a great accomplishment, it wasn't the best night for me as such. Um, and the next night, which was actually the last night before lockdown, there's 2,300 people there. I don't think I've ever put on an easier night in my life. Honestly, <laughs> like we implemented everything that we thought was went wrong and it went super smoothly, super, super smoothly to the point mm. where I turned around to PJ. I was like, why am I not stressed out? Like, why is everything going to plan? Um, and <laughs> yeah, like it was just, it, it was, it was, a, it was a great feeling. It was a great feeling. I forgot what we were speaking about. What were we speaking about? No, I was just, I was just saying, uh, do you, if you, did you oh, feel the next like goals. A a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Like... I think at that point now, it's like, I ain't cool. I've reached the O2. Um, my other next goal, which is what I've just mentioned, I want to get to Victoria Park. Like, that's what I want to do. And um, there's, I think it might have changed a bit now due to COVID. Um, so I think it's just like, in terms of goals, I think it's important to maybe re realign what you want time to time depending on where you are in life, like from what you want from the age of maybe 21, 22 to what you want when you're about 25, 26, like it's different and it, and it varies from time to time and that's okay. Um, I mean, I think my next goals are changing quite a lot because um, I'm being, we've just opened up a cocktail bar and I'm realizing that I've got skills in a whole, they kind of relate, but it's still a whole different area. A cocktail bar is quite different to a rave as such. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think like my goals there are changing slightly. We've launched the record label and I enjoy the record label so much. I haven't been able to spend 100% of my energy on it, but I want to work towards that because I'm able to showcase my taste making abilities on a different level now where mm -hmm. it's not just people in Leicester scene or the people on the outskirts of Leicester or a bit further afield. The world can see your taste making abilities and and showcase and get into the label and um 
buy the music that you like and support the brand. So I think there's a few different things that change. I think it's just always setting yourself, um, setting your sights on something more because I don't, if I think without that, I think life would be very stagnant. I think it's kind of like, when you think about kind of, for me, like the meaning of life, when I, if you take all those things away, what would I be doing? Just sitting there playing Call of Duty or playing Among Us or I don't know, just doing what in a nine to five and just, I don't know, like it doesn't sit right with me just not having more goals. I'm sure like it's, it is totally fine to go do those things and um, like just enjoy the moment of spending time with your loved ones in, in the evenings and on the weekends but where I get my drive is from achieving big goals. Um, I think there might be something to it in terms of having to prove yourself and something like that, or I don't know what, but um, I think I've always wanted to achieve and I don't think I'll, I, that will ever be taken away from me. I don't think, I don't think I could ever just sit back and relax and be like, right, I'm done. I don't want to do anything else. Yeah. I think I'm always want to want to be like, all right, cool. Is there anything else that I want to do? What else have I thought about doing before? Yeah, I, I think for the positive effects of having a purpose, like a genuine, like like you said, that drive to do something on your mental health is so underrated. I think when you lose that drive, that's when things start going wrong. And then I, I like I, I think back to that first episode when you said you lost your job, you're living in that really well, you're you're barely like making pennies, you're living in that very, very cold flat, like you're not paying any of your bills and that and all your friends have left you. There's like sort of social social isolation uh element because all your friends have gone to uni. And I, I think it is really underrated just having purpose and having a drive to do stuff. And I think that's when you need to be worried when you're you're not. You're yeah for sure like if when everyone that I speak to um i always say are you happy what do you care about what are you passionate about and i speak to loads of people i speak to lots of students and people that ask me for advice all the time and i always try to push people uh to whatever they're passionate about like it might not even be making money like it could be i don't know you want to uh, work at a homeless shelter and i ain't cool go do that and go as far as you can with that like don't stop like be the best person be the best possible version of yourself that you want to be and i think finding whatever i mean it's easier said than done there's a lot of people out there that probably haven't found their calling or really know what they want to do i think it's important to maybe like try different things that you've always wanted to try um mm. and yeah people might even even at that point, people might be too scared to do that or might think it's too late. Like, it's not too late. There's no age to it being too late. Like, go do what you want to do. Like, it's so important. So, so important. Because the thing is, like, the thing that worries me the most is having regrets in life. I couldn't have that. And I don't want any of my friends to have that. And I don't want to get to an old age where my friends or anyone around me hasn't done what they want to do in life. And if I can kind of encourage them in any way to be like, I ain't cool. Like when you're going to do this, why are you not doing that yet? Like, yeah, that's kind of my kind of ethos around that, I guess, as such. Yeah. It is having that question with yourself. Like you're saying you want to do it. Why aren't you doing it? Like, yeah, why why are you not doing it? Like, yeah. Like why are you sure telling me gonna, about it? Just do it. Yeah. Just do it. Like, is that not going to make you happier? Like, do all the things that that you that you want to try in life for sure like you've got one life to live and i think 
experiences are part of that whether you do even if you don't enjoy it at least you've tried it and you know that it wasn't for you and you try something else you know what i mean yeah 100 percent. and then i think probably the last thing i i sort of want to want to touch on going back because we kind of discussed your story and like the timeline i think right at the very beginning you sort of spoke about like how much like even just even slightly before you were setting up the brand how important music was to you and how you had such a good time both setting up the events and both going to events around the country Ibiza etc um and I guess I want to sort of explore how how you think music has, has has changed your life for the better how you think music's been positive to sort of help your mental health and those sorts of things I think I kind of touched on it briefly um with PJ so if you don't know who PJ is he's like one of my business partners he DJs for B-Swang it goes under the name of Yumna Black and it's kind of a bit off topic but kind of relates we was talking about how um so in India the dance music scene is growing pretty big at the moment and we was talking about why there why so let's say for example like the B-Swang crowd there's um very few people of uh people of color um and that's even at with the people there's people of color behind the event do you know what i mean and there's mm. still barely any south asians um mm. barely any like afro-caribbeans and all, all all the rest so it's kind of like i was in the what now kind of thought about like what is it that helps the people that are south asian in in the crowd and what enjoyment they get out of it and i think it's kind of to feel liberated from any in south asian culture it's very strict very regimented mm. and i think what was the question that you asked again i was just asking was about going. like <laughs> like the effects of music on your life more broadly and then sort of delving into the mental health side but no keep, keep going with this man no. yeah so then kind of like well, the way music is and specifically dance music and the culture around dance music i think it helps you feel liberated and free because the vibe at the event everyone's everyone's on a vibe like everyone's here for the music and everyone's not they might not even be there for the music they're here they're there for the general um vibe of the event like everyone it's not about um what color you are what kind of views you have like everyone's just there to kind of have a good time and everyone's super 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 friendly and when you kind of contrast that to a lot of people's lives, like some people, especially when people are starting to find themselves when they're in their early twenties, people might come from really super strict backgrounds where they're not able to express themselves. And when I look at definitely South Asian culture, I may it probably even a sense to people of color and, and, and maybe may anyone like not being able to express yourself and then finding an outlet to express yourself is amazing and i think a lot of people find that within dance music Mm. with the way dance music is set up the whole community aspect from uh, the people itself and how music makes you feel um and i think that's what's definitely i mean i'm really lucky like i've been able to as a south asian like i've been able to um express myself however i like because um, I've got a mother who's allowed me to do that and I'm so ever grateful for. And I, when I, when I look at other maybe um, South Asians and 
them going to raves or such, it would be frowned upon and the the whole culture behind it. So I'm lucky that I've been able to delve into it and 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 find it. And when I look at um when I was speaking to PJ, for example, like I think his parents were quite um open-minded and they kind of let him being able to express yourself in a certain way, which is why he thinks he got in it from an early early age. But I'd probably say the thing is with music as well, like what a pop, lot of people don't know is I listen to a lot of classical music as well. So I can mm. go from listening drum and bass one second, but bearing in mind, I probably listen to like more liquid and experimental drum and bass, but I listen to like classical, um, chill dubstep. And I think music can make you feel loads of different emotions. And I listen to, depending on what mood I'm in, I listen to different stuff. If um, yeah. if I'm if I'm on the way to um a night out, I might listen to some like R and B and hip hop bangers, maybe some like commercial garage. Like if I'm going to a drum and bass rave, I'll probably like go listen to drum and bass. Like when I wake up in the morning, I listen to classical music. So I think not even like dance music. I think music can help liberate a lot of different people. I think mm. not. It might not even be specifically to dance music. Like listen to pop music and get a great feeling from it. But if we're talking about dance music specifically, I think the reason why people to drawn to are drawn to it because they feel uh, they can express themselves without no judgment within the community. Yeah. Yeah. No. A hundred percent. I I think that's that that's kind of spot on. I the first episode I ever did at the radio show was talking, it was, it was, it's titled the importance of music. And I, I looked at this paper, um, uh, called, uh, what's it called? It's called the psychological functions of music listening. And it basically it, it, it done some re they interviewed a load of people, like nearly a thousand people and kind of tried to work out what people think is the reason behind why we listen to music basically because it's a bit of a if you think about it like how how did this come about how have we evolved to end up listening to music and the the three things that they sort of pinned it down to were they said to regulate your sort of mood and that's what you've sort of spoke about so if i'm feeling happier like and i'm, I'm wanting to go out on the town i'll listen to some r&b or whatever like you're saying um they they speak about like used as a, a tool for social relatedness social relatedness and so this is this is the idea that we use music to as a tool to to feel close to each other and so we can socialize with each other and i think actually in that episode i spoke about how realistically when we were working as a team in the b-swang team or whatever all our all our resident DJs or whatever, or Sam, whatever, we all came from very, very different background, but we had the one common thing, which was music. And that was mainly what we spoke about. It was the, the events that we went to and the music that we were into. And mm. I think it's underrated how music can be that common ground that you can speak to someone. And it, it's such a universal tool mm. um, to socialize with. Uh, and and socializing is one of the most important things in life. It's like so protective for our mental health uh and it's realistically it's what it's all about <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> like, just when you're speaking about that i think about the times where i've been to outlook festival and outlook festival um reaches so many different countries there's people from there from all over and you could be skanking away to someone from india someone from japan someone from italy like and 
it's it's amazing like for sure like it does bring people together and you do have that common interest even on maybe not even people from across the world but more more so at your unis and yeah like you said people are from different backgrounds different classes different experiences and that gives people a talking point and gets yeah. people connecting together where people might not normally connect together and mm. as one of the reasons why i started Song, which i've spoken to about in another podcast was it brings people together and the thought of bringing people together from both unis and um, the locals in Leicester is an amazing feeling because I know the connections that happen off the back of it. I know the friendships that are gained off the back of it. And it's ama- it's an amazing feeling and I love it. And that's why I love B-Swang. And this is why I continue to do what I do. Um, and, I, and I hope I do it for as long as I live or, do you know yeah. what I mean? I, don't, I hope there's never a time where I'm like, all right, I'm going to pack it in now. Like, I think having that kind of ethos and keeping that ethos because i think when you get to a set a lot of big promoters like i'm probably going a bit off top of it but a lot of big promoters and when you put on big events it's just about money and it just becomes a money thing when you get to a certain stage and i think where i'm right, right at now with beastwang like it could definitely be that case and it's probably a case with a lot of people that get to that level and what i want to do is i want to i want to showcase what B-Swang is about and what it stands for. And I'd never want to let go of the feeling of why I do what I do and the importance of bringing people together. And that extends to further things in terms of where you stand, um, maybe politically, which we've never done before, what where we stand on racism um, and a whole load of other of, of, of issues that are going on in the world. And I think it's yeah. important to know what you stand for to let yeah i think it's important to let people know and before i never did that because i was afraid of what people might think um but i think i'm kind of on the flip side now and i'm not afraid to share what we think and if someone doesn't align with what what we believe then then you know what i mean that's on you this is kind of our community and this is this is the way we are do you know what i mean that's yeah would, would you say you believe in these things are is it you feel events over the years have given you that ability to sort of feel that you're in the position now where you can fully take the brand in the direction that you want or is it that you feel that the brand is now big enough you have the power to sort of influence more and you're maybe a bit more uh i think we definitely have the power to influence a lot more i think it could be detrimental to the brand um, I think when you do get into the bigger the numbers, it's, there's probably people out there that like going to dance music events, but they probably might not have the same views as us. Do you know what I mean? Or, or the majority. Mm. And that's difficult to to approach, especially when you do get into those bigger numbers, I think, because you are aiming to get those big numbers and you go to your festival and things like that. But I would think one, when I, I know it can be done because when I look at someone that does do it, I look at Boomtown. And I think Boomtown doing it in such a way that they're able, still able to get those big numbers. And I think it's what for them to show what they stand for has obviously proven that it hasn't been detrimental to them. And I think if done in the right way, then yeah, like I would still like to venture you know, on that path as such. Yeah. I don't know if that was the answer to your question. 
I, I don't know, man. We get we we, we seem to get get sidetracked all the time, but it's, <laughs> yeah. no, there's so, go off on a tangent like little... and just chat some bub. <laughs> but there's so there's so like honestly, I think we can probably I guess chat for, about loads of stuff forever. But I think so. W- what would you say over the years? I guess to sort of sum up, because um, we've been speaking for a bit now. Yeah. What would you say over the years are your sort of key things you've learned as an entrepreneur? Um, learned as overcoming these sorts of strives outside your business life being a carer um having worked with a therapist what are the things that you think are most important for people's mental health i know it's a bit of a big one such a big question such a big question that's important for mental health i'm just trying to think of advice i've given recently uh what's important to mental health i think there's an element of good routine and physical well-being i think that's one but that only goes so far um obviously you could be really good in shape and on all the rest of it and that definitely helps to relieve some parts but there's definitely some elements that ain't going to help you and i think when i look back to it what's been the biggest thing that's helped me i think understand re understanding your self-worth i think that's really important understanding that it's never too late i feel like that can real lot real off a whole list of things um it's fine man not being afraid to fail um if i think having a great support network around you is really important but if you don't have that maybe look to seek a therapist and that could be your outlet that could be your support network uh one of the biggest things if i could choose anything right now what would it be i'll probably say my my therapist has helped quite a lot or it's definitely it's definitely helped me get to another level in my head like uh, it's weird how i think about things but mm. it's kind of like leveling up do you know what i mean and i feel like yeah, I got, yeah. you get to certain points in your life and you might get a bit stuck or you might feel like it's kind of, let's say for example with a business you get to a certain level and you get stuck um that's kind of i felt like where i was in my head up until the point I got a therapist, I felt like I was mentally strong and I've had loads, loads of challenges to prepare me for um, a lot of things that I'm going to face. But then they got to a point where I was stuck and I needed a therapist to help me level up to the next level. And yeah. there's probably going to be another level somewhere up here. Um, maybe when I start to have kids or other challenges in life, like I'm 30 in a couple of weeks where I'm going to have to level up in my head even more. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah and i think if i think just yeah yeah i'd probably say like having a support network being grateful has helped a lot also as well like what are gratitude you know what i was gonna there's something that i say there's something there's something that i saved uh today i think it was today and i'm gonna go over it uh because uh, i was thinking i yeah, I remember you when you were speaking about how you sat there with that homeless man and you gave him you gave him loads of stuff or whatever. And I think um, expressing gratitude, not necessarily always giving stuff, but expressing gratitude and being grateful for what you have as well as giving is underrated. That's also something that's so underrated. Now we're very, uh, I think, just 
social media culture, everything, it can get quite egocentric sometimes. And being able to sort of have that sense of community in that sort of sense is really, really powerful. I don't uh, think I'll say that. I'm really annoyed. Yeah, oh, so just I'm sorry, man. No, it's carry on. Um, carry, yeah, carry on. I don't mean to no, 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 no. Over to you, man. So you were saying about gratitude. Yeah, so gratitude. Um, so let's say, for example, if I'm stressed out or if I'm realizing, like, why don't I have all the nice things in life? Why don't I have a five bedroom house yet? Why am I not driving a nice car? Why don't I have a load of savings in the bank? And um, PJ is an interesting person to talk to. And I'm very, very grateful that he's my business partner and friend. Um, he puts me on loads of spiritual mindfulness thoughts. Um, and what he does is he, I don't know whether he still does it, he might not, or just whenever he gets a chance to, is every day he, he it's either every day or every night, he writes down what he's grateful for. Mm. And that kind of put a thing in my head where it's like, well, what am I grateful for right now? And it's something super simple. Like I'm back at my mum's in a council estate, but I've got a roof over my head. I can eat. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm not, what's the worst that's going to happen? Like I've got an amazing friendship group. So if you take all those things away, you can't, I'm still in a great position. Do you know what I mean? Like most people do have a roof over their heads and mm. most people do have a support net network around them. And I think a lot of people, even in loads of different situations, like they might not have uh, as tough of a life, like they might have a really, a really good life, but they still feel down and they don't know why. And I think having gratitude and realising the things that you do have is uh, an important step to having great mental health. That's it. That's, I think that's that's nice. very poignant. Uh, I feel like we could go on forever, honestly. Uh, <laughs> but I think that's a, a really sort of poignant way. To I think that's a good like start a starting point. If you're feeling super shit, that's a good starting point. Gratitude, yeah. realizing what you do have, and then going from there. Yeah, yeah. And also as well, like so, if uh, you're if you want any advice or you do want to talk to someone, you can always hit hit me up like anytime. Slide in the DMs, and I'm happy to help. <laughs> you heard sure. it here girls slander dms no not like that i'm a i'm a one dog man <laughs> um i think that's probably the best place to leave it i think we've been going for probably a bit over an hour now and we yeah, said just we over an hour keep it this sort of length <laughs> yeah definitely for yeah. sure well I, I i appreciate you um, kind of reaching out and um talking about m mental health i think this has been a good episode for sure and I hope it helps more people. And how have you taken it? Because I feel like I've just spoken loads about everything and it's been more about my No, I've, I've really, like, it's really interesting for me just, like, filling in the gaps because, like I said, when I I was a sort of, uh, I was just, uh, like, working with you at the time. Like, mm. I, don't, I don't, I like everyone else who shows up to your events. Well, like, I, I get a bit more of the inside the work, of the work that goes into planning the events. But I don't. You're you're you you have a uh, you're very good at sort of keeping the wall up and like I don't know the amount of stress you're under and obviously yeah. I sort of need bits and pieces like the, the stuff was going on with your mum at the time. Mm -hmm. um, but now looking back at it, it's just like when you're saying like that. My new Lang event was the most stressful thing ever. Like I'm just sitting there. Like all I have to do is show up and play, and it just shows that um, I don't know. You you you. I think if everyone just it doesn't necessarily take things at face value and looks mm. a bit deeper it, it can sometimes be a bit quite 
it can be quite insightful and i don't know just be good to people is probably the bottom line of this, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah really? for sure um and then and so be, what's going to go on with you now in terms of like yourself? in terms of um why have you taken interest is this like something a part of your study or like how so what's your podcast called? So i know it's something related to health right am i wrong no? Yeah, so so my my podcast is called Repeat Prescription Radio. That's a repeat, that's a um, it's a based over that's a primarily. Yeah, cheers, man. Um, it's based primarily over on Mixcloud because uh, I'm not actually on a radio show and I can't use SoundCloud, so a lot of the uh, the copyright stuff would just get just get bunked straight off there. Um, but what I tend to do is I'll play basically just a sort of generic sort of like army classical music uh indie music folk music pop music whatever for about 25 to half an hour um and that's the sort of part where we get tagged for copyright but that i think is a an honest expression of myself uh which i really like it's just the music that i like to listen to because mm -hmm. although we're both djs like we listen to a lot of other music we're yeah. music enthusiasts and i think yeah, for sure i think what i think sometimes when i've fallen out of love with djing well like it's only ever been really i'd say temporary is when i end up just down the hole of looking for electronic music tunes and i think uh when you when you're too soaked up in am i does this tune sound good because it's going to sound good when i'm playing it out and you're not just listening to music because you love the music you're listening to and that's when it can all get a bit blurry and that's when i've sort of not not really been that fussed about djing in my life and i think that year in bristol where i didn't dj and i was just i didn't really listen about that much electronic music i I don't I, like I, I really fell back in love with music again um so yeah that's why I use for the first sort of like 20 minutes to half an hour of an episode and then in the sort of next half an hour to an hour I'll either speak about a sort of lifestyle or wellness um topic um and these have included things such as uh the importance of wearing ear protection like when you're mm. out and about like when you're out in the rave it's so underrated so many young people that go out they're going to ruin their ears for like 30 40 years times and these are sort yeah, of like it's that. talking about i guess mainly towards young people but it, it's talking about the things that we can do in our own lives to take onus of our own health and live 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 healthier lives essentially because like i am going to be a doctor in a year's time tom who you know he's already a doctor he's been doing it for a year and a half um like this is what I'm going to be doing for my life. And I think this has just allowed me to sort of express the way that I think people should engage with their health. Um, because I think when you're a doctor, ultimately, uh, the way that you, the way that although you can give people drugs, although you can uh, give people can have surgeries, I think people staying healthy a lot of the time relies on the changes they make in their own life. And so if I'm able to maybe influence people a bit through my podcast, I think it gives me a bit more confidence to my sort of future career, if that makes sense. Uh, and I just find it interesting. I'm genuinely interested in the ways that we can we can improve our own health. Yeah, definitely. I can see how it's going to be yeah. a, a very beneficial for you. And I'm sure you're going to be a great doctor in the future. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm cheers, going to be coming, coming to you forever. And I'm like, Frank, uh, I've done something to my toe. What, what do I do? <laughs> Mate, uh, you already get people, like I already get people asking me, like like my family will be like, oh, what do you think I should do? It's like, go and see a real doctor. Like I'm actually not qualified for this. Um, but yeah, and it, it's just allowed me to connect with music, like the radio show. It allows me to talk about like, 
the things that I'm interested within medicine. And then I also like, I'll throw in a mix for the last like half um, of the episode and it would just be an hour of me just mixing some tunes that I've been listening to and feeling. So it allows me to sort of keep DJing in a way that is an honest expression of myself again. Yeah, Wicked, I'm definitely going to lock into a couple of those episodes. I know I've seen a couple of them that I've been eyeing up for sure. Yeah, yeah. I know you play Jack's music, so I was wondering, uh, Dave's Prism's music. I saw one of the radio shows, you played some of his tracks. Yeah, he's a a great producer. Yeah, sick. But yeah, I think that that concludes the conversation of what's ever... You know what, like, these are exactly the conversations that I do want to capture, and this is why I want to do the podcast, because we could have had this conversation... Um, without obviously recording it or putting it out, like if we yeah. ever got into it one time, and I've, these are the kind of conversations that I want to capture and kind of put out because yeah, they might help people. Hopefully, I think yeah. they might not. You might think we're a bunch of weirdos. <laughs> <I'm finishing laughs> so go back to but yeah, like <laughs> if you enjoyed it, if you enjoyed the podcast, um, reach out to us. Um, what's your socials? Everything's just repeat prescription radio. And what can you? Where can you find it on? Facebook, Mixcloud, SoundCloud. I'm setting up an Instagram. Like Sick. I'm not. This isn't some big thing where I'm going to take over the world. This is just mainly to my friends and extended friends, sort of thing. Um, but yeah, um, you can follow me at Nico the Beardo. So the, obviously, you know the podcast is called Last Night a Rave Saved My Life. Um, but yeah, like you can get at me on all the socials at Nico the Beardo. But yeah, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And yeah. Speak to you very soon. Take it easy, man.